I find that when I do more of that stuff in terms of meditation and in, in terms of like just having time to be quiet, I find that it prevents me from, you know, lashing out, but it also, you're kind of more conscious, like you're more in the moment nearly. So you're kind of conscious of what you say to others, kind of act, how you act around others. You're not like reactive. You're kind of very proactive in kind of what you say, kind of what you do. Hello and welcome to the Pro Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish international age grade player and each week I chat with a player, a coach or a person involved at the top end of the game to hear about their story, get their insights and find out what life is like in professional rugby. On Instagram I'm the Offfield Rugby Coach, that's at Offfield Rugby. Please follow me there and let me know any thoughts or feedback you have for the pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And also, please share the pod with some friends. Those simple actions have a big impact and are really, really appreciated. This week, I chat with Connacht and Ireland out half, Jack Carty. Jack came through the Connacht Academy and is the province's record point scorer. On the pod, we speak about how, over Jack's career, Connacht have gone from one of the worst teams in the Pro 14 to champions in 2016, and now regular contenders. And he gives a really interesting insight into how mindset and attitudes of young players can positively affect a team. You've probably heard quite a bit about Pat Lamb's influence on Connacht, and Jack touches on this. But he speaks about a different reason that I hadn't heard before that he believes also played a big part in Connacht's reversal in fortunes. We speak about pre-season, what Connacht are doing differently, and how drastically it has changed over the past 10 years, and also what coaches can do to get the best out of players in today's game. We discuss the new rules, the 50-22 and the goal line dropout. Jack gives a great insight into some of the things that he will be doing to exploit them, and we discuss the knock-on effects that the rules might have on how the game is played. I found his perspective here really interesting, and if you're a player or coach, I think you'll definitely learn a trick or two. Let me know if you agree with us or if you think of any other ways to exploit them. Jack speaks about mindfulness, sports science and what professional players are doing today away from training and gym to get an upper hand. And all of these things can be replicated no matter what level you're playing at. We played together throughout the Connacht system for the under 20s and for the Eagles. I was his captain at 20s and he was mine for the Eagles. Our 20s team beat the other three Irish provinces and Jack speaks about how good that side was and our style of play. So I've linked a highlights video from that team in the show notes. There's a few future internationals in the side and also Robbie Henshaw who has gone on to be a Lion. Early in the pod when we're chatting about Connacht we speak about a coach called Nigel. Just for anyone that doesn't know that's Nigel Carolyn that we're referring to. He's the former Connacht attack coach who's now with Glasgow Warriors. Hope you enjoy the chat. Here's episode number three with Jack Carty. So how's preseason been going? Uh, it's been different. Um, I suppose without going, giving away that the way we're going to change things up, um, there's been a lot more emphasis on kind of ball work, um, skills. Um, like you see that we'll be doing a lot of things that will be kind of combating um, the way defences obviously are, have changed with that 13-2 split so mm. um, Pete Wilkins stepped up from defence coach obviously he has a 
you know, it's probably the best way to kind of become a, an attack coach or like, I suppose, a senior coach is from defense coach because you have an understanding of what stresses these. So he's kind of stepped into that attack role. Um, yeah, I suppose we were given like quite an extensive like amount of running to do in comparison, I suppose, to previous off seasons. And then when we kind of came back, we were like immediately into a lot of like small sided games and like drop off touch. Um, but like in comparison to other pre-seasons where, you know, we probably spoke about it before uh, or even before this, we kind of spoke about it in terms of um, how it's changed. Like it used to be kind of MAS straight line running. And you'd be doing that for two weeks just to build up tolerance and then you'd be kind of getting into rugby whereas now we've you know cracked into rugby straight away and then you, you kind of find that the intensity comes with i suppose the games that you play if you're doing you know them offside touch games or six fours, and you kind of like to make those jog between set between stations you just find that like the intensity is well way through the roof like our session yesterday Pitch session was 38 minutes and it wow. was the toughest session, toughest session that probably we've ever done in Connacht. And across the board, people said that. So it's kind of rugby's gone away from these like real long, grueling things to, I suppose, if you want to match the way you want to play, which, you know, we want to play fast with intensity, you kind of have to train that way. Whereas mm. maybe previously before, we'd say we want to play as a tempo team, but we wouldn't actually be training in that manner. Um, but I think this year you'll see um, a lot of them changes. Changes. Cool. And do the players prefer it? I think so. It's an enjoyable way to play. Like if you watch even the Lions series, like, like no one wants to no. play rugby in that in that vein. And I think it's how you come across or how you come about. I suppose dismantling teams like that, you have to have I suppose your own sort of rugby identity. Obviously, the the South Africa has theirs, which is yeah. like incredibly effective, and they just back their defense. Like they're like, right, if you want to actually have a run at us, we're just gonna all shoot in and we'll leave like the last two or three men. So I kind of understand how the Lions managed to kind of get into an arm wrestle in that way because you know the South African line speed is probably up there with the the best in in the world. Is the best in the world. I saw kind of think a staff for the amount of tries they've conceded like the most they've only conceded over I think 16 games that too but it's yeah I don't think it's the way the game should be played um, so hopefully we kind of I suppose there's a few teams in our league who kind of play in that vein so it'd be nice to um, kind of go up I suppose different styles of play against them yeah agreed and something I was just thinking about when uh, earlier is that Nige coached you and me since we were like 14, 15. And I remember the way he was the first coach that I ever had that got you to read a defense and attack based upon that. So I just remember like playing eight and he said, if we were scrum on our own five and they go three back, we're running every time. Whereas before I would have always had ingrained in my mind, you pick, you make five, six yards and you kick to touch. And then Nige became what the attack coach about five, six years ago. And Connacht, like, no disrespect, I'm a Connacht fan, but 10 years ago when you were starting out, we were one of the worst teams in the league and didn't really have any identity in attack. And now, even over here, friends of mine like who watch rugby back home say, oh, they're just so exciting to watch. What kind of impact or what changed 
from when you started out with Connacht to today, like that identity that you have and the way that you play and did Nigel have an impact on that? Um, I think, yeah, so I can, so Nigel would have been there, as you said, the whole way up. He would have, like you know and knowing yourself, like some of the, the skill sessions that we would have done were like, teams probably still doing them now in terms of like three v two v ones like pretty mm. simple drills like then you'd be doing like you'd be practicing like out the back um offloads yeah. and you'd be trying like a lot of unorthodox sort of stuff and um, i think the difference in how economy evolved was they had such a like so they obviously couldn't go to market for these big like signings so they obviously had to be innovative in the term in terms of like what was coming up through the academy yeah um and then I think the fact that, you know, this pool of players started kind of coming through that were at a, like a skill level that was probably higher than a lot of the actual players that were in the senior squad at the time. Mm. And then I think when Pat came, you know, he just had like players churning like in and out in every year to him who had like a really strong base in terms of like the basic skills in terms of passing, tackling, catching, kicking. And, and as you kind of said, in terms of, what you were saying about the uh, off the back of the scrum, like that under twenty team that we played with, like even look back at some of the the games there. It was last year, I think Nige um had showed them like some of our our passing and the way we actually played was um you know it was with to a degree of like you know it was it was it was refreshing to watch yeah. because like you see fellas like the pass Robbie through to um Connor Finn I think was in the right hand corner and Donny Brook like off his bad side. It was like a twenty meter pass, and Finner didn't even have to like break stride. Yeah, and um, it's just like that's all the stuff that probably hadn't been there. And then you have players stepping up into a senior team who, you know, like you've Robbie playing when he was nineteen, you've Marmo playing when he's twenty. That I think you know kind of had to evolve because you, if you didn't, then these players weren't being able to express themselves. Yeah, um, and you can see that 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 translated then into the way. You know, obviously Pat was there. The players kept coming through, uh, and then obviously when Nigel then went into um, the senior gig, obviously like you have to be, I suppose when you kind of step up into that role, like a, a lot of the game now is determined about like your kicking game and kind of mm. how you manage kind of the field and, and what zones you play. And I think you know we got the balance right um, in terms of not playing too much in our own half, but then. You know, there'll be times where you like you, you look to flush it, and um, was the term that we use. So it's kind of kind of when you get into them, I suppose when you get into a job like that, you kind of have to match, I suppose, the risk with reward. So I think yeah. you you probably can kind of see that. Like everyone says that, you know, that we're really um exciting to watch, and I think we are, but we're very um proactive in the way that we kind of manage the the, the zones on the field. Yeah, and. You mentioned there, like, all, the, all you boys that came through together and started playing with the senior team, and you had a certain mindset playing underage, which is the way you play now. Did you always find it easy to express yourself uh, making the step up? Um, no, I don't think so. Like, I think, I suppose, look, when you're playing underage rugby, it, you can kind of play with a... Uh, it's like that less less pressure of like what the outcome actually is going to be. If you get me, like you don't, you know, when you make that step up, it's probably like, you know, it, it is very outcome based in terms of results. Yeah. So obviously when you, it, it's just about kind of matching them up, like 
I suppose it really depends on the game plan. Like I know when I initially came in, Cards would have been very kind of conservative and like watching them probably wouldn't have been the most exciting to watch. Um, when they kind of initially started playing in the champion or the Heineken Cup. And then when you saw Pac came in, then, you know, he actually had a really clear rugby identity and it was like, you know, this is the way we're going to play and we're going to live and die by that sword. And it was refreshing because, you know, it, it just your whole training then is you can build around what your actually rugby identity is sweater so we yeah. played the 2-4-2 we managed to it took us a while to actually get to that point but we always were a team that aspired to like play and I suppose then look if we didn't you know if we weren't that accurate initially it was still a thing where we kind of stuck to our rugby identity mm. and obviously we reaped the rewards kind of three years down the line that's cool and when Pat came in, were there any? I've seen this so many, in so many different places I've been since leaving Ireland. But were there any people who were like, "Oh, this is the way we've always done it"? Yeah, like there was. So obviously, he, Pat would have came in from the Southern Hemisphere, and I suppose when you, you know, as you, you have to be, we had to be innovative, and they had to be, we had to do something different to the other teams because obviously we're restricted by budget. We're obviously in in some room. Well, we are restrict, restricted by demographics as well. Yeah. So obviously GEA and stuff is massive. It was like massive, way bigger than rugby at the time. Mm. So they had to do something different in terms of getting the most out of what we actually had. And, you know, I suppose the conditions, obviously the conditions are unfavorable, I suppose, to, to a word, like I wanted a better word to even describe it. But the fact that we, you know, go back to the, chose an identity that was going to be us and then you know we practice our passing to skill, like the amount of skill sessions and the kind of stuff that Dave Ellis did with us at the time like he'd be wearing eye patches then he'd be like saying I'll oh, spell Jack backwards and he'd be like you'd be doing throwing the ball over and back at each other um, and it was just about like getting to- as many touches like on the ball as you could like we like it probably was a cut it probably was a corny thing at the time we all had to like have our own rugby ball you probably heard about this everyone yeah. in Pat's first year had to have like their own rugby ball and you had to like carry the rugby ball to everyone in your meetings and like it was just something so completely different to anything and uh yeah, yeah it was just it was like you wrote a quote on it and then you know someone would walk into the meeting without their ball and Pat would be like where's your ball but that was all about like him or us getting comfortable with the ball in our hand because we probably were so pre, like, I suppose. Setting your ways a bit. We would have been setting our ways. That, look, the conditions are this way, so we would play a kick game, contestable kick game, you know, we'll fight to the death, you know, and I think that was really good and served its purpose at the time, but if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to kind of kind of change the way that um, we played, which we, which we did. Yeah, interesting. Tell me a little bit more about Dave Ellis and those uh, skill sessions. I, I love that kind of stuff, but uh, that sounds interesting. What Were there any other kind of like off-the-wall things you did, and how did that challenge you as a player? Um, I was trying to think, like, in terms of... Yeah, like, we used to have this thing at the start of, uh, the start of every session where... And we're actually doing it now at the end of sessions, but we used to have at the start of sessions and it was kind of a primer where they'd stick like if you can imagine they'd stick six poles. So like we'd two poles, then two poles, then two poles. Yeah. And then you'd line up in groups of three. 
And obviously what the drill was trying to teach you was to to stay square, these little kind of tip up passes over the line. And it was basically backs versus forwards every session and you count to 30. If you drop the ball, it goes back down to, excuse me, it goes back down to zero. Um, like even now, when like a lot of the stuff that we're doing, um, like all our skills are small base skill sessions that we do kind of after pitch or before weights even. You know, they all serve a purpose purpose in terms of what we're actually trying to do uh, on the pitch in terms of our lines of running, in terms of like, you know, trying to manipulate defenses. Um, whereas when I think Dave was there, a lot of it would have been, you know, like one hand rips and then you'd like put your opposite leg up and rips across your body, mm. different type of backdoor passes. Um, and even then, I suppose the fact we were playing when we were playing the 2-4-2, so they'd split your... 9 10 and then your prop your the um, player who was going to be the ball player in the 242 so it was Ali Muldowney at the time and your other your two props your second row and then obviously the player the scout who was sitting behind them and at the start of the session they'd like split and you take your outside backs uh your Lucy's and they go kind of to the edge so what you'd literally practice would be your, your nine pass to your 10 your 10 rip to your ball player who was Ali at the time and then it was just like getting comfortable with what then like ins and outs where you'd have like a defense in front of you um, and it was just the way that they broke up the I suppose the playing group into mini groups and everyone got kind of comfortable with what we were actually trying to do so it was um, you kind of can, you can kind of see the year after I suppose we kind of went and went to do the exact same sort of thing whereas teams you know that was the kind of the start of when teams started putting 13 players in the line yeah and uh i suppose that's when all the beautiful rugby in, in some sense kind of ended up uh ended up dying yeah and was there was there a time when you're kind of looking at each other going oh wait a sec this isn't working and had to kind of go back to the drawing board uh yeah i suppose the year after we played uh year after when the pro 12 you know, the first two games we played against Glasgow and Ospreys, we played them at home. And we still obviously had the 2-4-2 two, two in. Yeah. It was still what we were doing. And obviously, we didn't have... Uh, Ali still wasn't there, but we still had like many of the same combinations. But teams, obviously, you know, what we used to kind of talk about was teams with wagging tails. So, like, teams that, like, would play pendulums. You then all you'd have to do is you'd get the ball to the middle and then you'd have, like, a south option and you can keep going the opposite way but you'd always know that if you got the ball kind of past the two pairs of hands they'd all go into that kind of jockey or kind of like soft defense on the edge and it was like easy yards mm. so what teams started doing then was just like filling the front field and then leaving the two sweepers in kind of five meters or 15 meter channels yeah. we kind of found it quite difficult to adapt to that so we ended up playing kind of different things off of nine yeah trying to get our nine running from the midfield which you know, automatically the defences kind of stop shooting. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we tried a, a couple of different things. And I think the fact that it was, you know, we had the skill level to play lots of different ways. I remember Pat used to say, like, we don't play we don't play a certain way. We just have the skills to play in any sort of conditions. So we play in front. We have a massive gale force win to us, into us. And we're still able to have a game that was, you know, play up and then go back down the short side. Um, and actually, it was quite refreshing going into games because you knew whatever the conditions may be, firstly, that you were going to be able to hold on to the ball, not have to defend for long periods of time, 
um, and you had the, I suppose, game plan to, to deal with it. Yeah. And you mentioned there that, like, this season you've changed things up and that time you won the league but realised you had to change things up. So is in, are you kind of constantly innovating as a group? And does that come from coaches or players or the leadership group? Or is it just something that everybody everybody's kind of thinking of new ideas and putting new things out there? uh yeah so i think you you do constantly have to change i think if you you know if you end up kind of staying i suppose as a constant you're probably just going to fall behind um i'd say predominantly it's it's kind of from the coaching staff that's where it comes from and then you know they they're very open in terms of their suggestions to us but they'll they'll always give them the space i suppose to try something and then they'll ask us or oh, how does that feel to these players and then we'll give them the sort of feedback uh, on, it, on it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the new rules, the 50-22 and the goal line dropout? Uh, yeah, geez, the goal line dropout one is, I suppose, top of that first is interesting enough if you think about it. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, we had a couple, we had, I think, two... So maybe three uh, last season we did one short against the Ospreys and we ended up like so we did a short one to us did a short one to myself got it and then ended up like clearing the lines but I think it was because I suppose it was such a new thing um, I think it's yeah look it speeds the game up way more which is obviously really really good because this whole thing of going out resetting scrums um, yeah. is kind of a bit of a pain um, I think obviously is good for the attack in terms of the fact that you know you're going to be getting a counter attack. You're probably going to end up running the ball back into their their twenty two, and you can kind of go again at it. The fifty twenty two ones, I think, is going to be. I actually think it's nearly probably too easy of a kick. We kind of were talking about it. As any back, I think it's you know it's it's not actually that it's a twenty eight. What is a twenty eight meter kick? It's not yeah. that big of a distance to actually to find space uh, or to execute the kick. I think. You know turnovers now. If you get a turn, if you turn the ball over in your own kind of in the opposition fifty, and then they receive it, it's like a nearly a Easy. double whammy. You're not only giving up possession, but you're now also probably going to be giving up a set piece inside your twenty-two. Yeah. Um. So it's it really is going to be interesting to see how teams, I suppose, manage playing inside their, firstly inside their inside up to I suppose the sixty or so, and then how they manage to kind of do that backfield coverage because I'm presuming that teams are still going to hold two back yeah. rather than change anything different and try to be quite rigid in the fact that they'll play two 15s, keep them in the 15-metre channel and their defence coach will say to them, right, you're not to leave under any circumstances. The yeah. only time you leave is if we're a real number short. Um, but I think it's good. I think, like, you see you see what South Africa were doing in the test that they were, when our, or when the Lions are prepping for a box kick they used to drop Jasper Visa into the into the backfield or Cagle yeah. Smith. So I think I think there's going to be a lot more in terms of you'd hope there'd be a lot more space kind of t- to play. I think where you'll probably see it is around them um kind of scrums in around that kind of I suppose forty meters from your own line. Yeah. It'll give teams a massive opportunity to to run a lot more because they'll be so conscious of protecting the backfield. So I think there was a few ITM games where, you know, the nine was sitting sitting right off. So if the attacking nine was able to run, then they actually play the two wingers deep. So they were kind of playing with a flat four. And if teams do that, like you really hope that 
the attacking team then will just take the space, kicking space or take the run space yeah. then. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'll be really good. I think you'll see some like serious meters gained off of uh, off of scrum set piece definitely. Yeah, I didn't even think about that with set piece. Like it's um, it's nearly impossible. It's, it is impossible to defend everything most of the time. But but you're off a of scrum like. You can't do anything. Maybe an aid or a back row would have to drop back to blindside or something. I don't know. But I think as well, with if teams drop two wingers back, they're going to have to put a nine in behind or something. Because if you are in the middle of the field and you've got two wingers that are 30 meters back covering a kick, you've oceans of space in the middle. You know, like. Yeah, like, and then you're, you're nine, the attacking nine. You know, that's an extra player for the attacking side because they can just get a an 8-9 and the 9 will be able to run because you want the pressure from the opposition on you know what I mean Yeah. so it's going to come down to how the attacking team if the 9 is sitting off how you manage to manipulate mm. the defensive 9 because then you've you know two numbers up then yeah. um, or even three numbers up so yeah I think it'll be you'll see a lot of scores off of uh, or a lot of run meters I think, especially off teams from inside their own inside their own half yeah I think it's cool as well with the goal line dropout First of all, it's going to stop picking goals because you can't risk, you can't really risk getting held up when there's so many teams. You see, like Exeter, Leinster, they just they just pick and go for twenty phases until they score. But like if you, as a defensive team, if someone does that against you, it's quite easy, well not easy, but relatively easy to get under the ball. So if somebody's picking a goal and you can wrap under the ball and bring them over your line and you get the dropout, so teams left to go away from that, I think. Um, so there'll be more intent when teams get closer to the line. But also, I was chatting to a ref there last week, and he said that if you kick the ball over the goal line and they dot it down, it's a goal line dropout, not a 22. So mm. that's that means that you can, when you get like 20 meters, 30 meters, 15 meters out, that kind of area, you can put so many probing kicks through and. Like if the defender catches it a meter or two from the line, they're they're fucked. And if it goes over the line, you get as you say earlier, you're getting the ball back and you can run it back into their twenty-two. So I think when you get into that kind of final third, you can be so much more like expressive or go for things, you know, because there's so much less risk if it goes wrong. Yeah, definitely. I think if you if you want to be really cynical about it, if you get to fifty meters, you could, and teams are going to be hugging. You know, hugging to like protect their 22, 22. I suppose. 20, you can just pump the ball straight down the middle yeah. and finish it in the in goal line, and you're making a, yeah. a 50 meter gain. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, that's a really cynical way of looking at it, but you, you could potentially do that as well. Keep an eye out for that one. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, cla- I think it's class because it's, uh, the game's going to be so much more open and end to end. And I'm sure there's some people like, I don't know what you call them, purists or something, that'll be like, oh, you know, too much picking, whatever. But, like, people don't want to see picking goals off nine and like, fucking crashing it up. Fuck that. Like, remember the way rugby was, like, six, seven years ago? It was so boring. Whereas now, like, yeah. you'll have teams having a crack and going for it. I think it'll be class. I think if if we rewinded the clocks and we were playing with you, I think you'd be picking off the back of the scrum and trying to put spirals into the back, oh, back I'd corner. Be, I'd be drilling 16 rubbers. I'd be drilling. I'm just <laughs> thinking, like, if you're, fuck, left foot, if you're going from right to left in that 13 channel, you can just drill a grubber low and hard and you're getting it out in that 22 every time. 
I know you'd probably spiral it, but I think that long broker. I'll have to have a chat with Tom Farrell and Daly and the boys, let them know. The boys in the outside <laughs> channels, yeah. But um, what's been your most memorable moment playing with Connor? Um, that's a good question. Um, probably say, probably two. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll probably initially, I'll probably say first anyways, the uh, Heineken Cup against Wasps on a purely kind of selfish note because we obviously had kicked poorly kind of leading up to it, a lot of question marks in terms of whether, you know, even in the commentary, Miles Harrison is like, kind of speak, like before I'm taking the kick, makes comment about my goal kicking. Um, and I managed to kind of nail the uh, touchdown conversion to win it. So I'd say that that, um, and even though it was like it was quite emotional after because I'd felt that, you know, it was a thing where I, I got always I tried to, you know, I'd put so much effort and craft and time into my craft, and I probably wasn't getting the just rewards of it because of, I was probably just off technically in a lot of aspects of what I was kicking, but you know, didn't really have the understanding of what it was necessarily trying to do. Um, and then secondly, I'd probably say. Either the first time we, I'd say probably the first time when we beat Ulster up in Raven Hill, when we beat them, the it was what two years ago. When I was thinking of that question as well, like your most memorable moment, the one, the only one I, the one that just kept coming to my mind was that Wasps game. And um, do you feel like I could see it and the emotion from you, from the team, from everything? But and I, I know as well, like yeah, there was question marks with your kicking leading up to that, and I'm, I know how hard you work, but. Do you feel that was kind of a, a turning point for you? Um, no, I, I probably don't think it was. You know, I think, I suppose, you know, I, like, okay, I, the way I kind of see it was, I was probably at a level the year before. The following year, I kind of went to another level, but I was still was kind of, you know, there's obviously that, I suppose you're not going to be able to see it, but, you know, growth isn't a straight line. Mm. It's, it's ups and downs and kind of, going around the place but I think there was a certain point obviously I had improved as a player uh, up until that wasp point and I think that gave me the belief you know that I was I suppose uh, adequate at the level I think probably it came the year after Friendy's first year I think that's kind of when when I came into my own I suppose I think and um, one of the questions you'd kind of spoken about before is in terms of like what type of coach do like I might like build rapport with or find that I excel under and it's probably a coach that um I feel like in like it's probably a corny word, but one that kinda you you feel like nearly loves you or like yeah, kinda yeah, no, you know puts sure. their arm around you and um, like you see it in any sort of thing. I've heard like even in business, like yeah. your employees will always perform much better if they kind of feel like there's a bit of freedom. Yeah. And they also feel like there's a genuine care there from from their superiors. And I think that's probably what Friendly has done for me and a lot of other players. He's, you know, showed uh, an appetite to understand you as a person um, on the pitch, obviously, but more so off the pitch and kind of understands what makes you, you tick. Um, and look, he approaches everyone different. I, I've kind of said it in a few things before, but um, I think a lot of people would be surprised to the extent in terms of 
he, he probably even he probably even says himself that he probably is nearly does it looks after players too much in terms of what kind of looking after them, keeping in contact with them. Um, but I think like you, I know Ronald Gar has spoken about it loads in in terms of kind of that sort of aspect of it, and when he's been in La Rochelle, but um, the looking after the player, understanding what what it makes a player tick. Uh, I think that's what I kind of I don't know I gravitate towards that more so um, rather than a kind of a coach that is cold or a coach that kind of you know you kind of have that kind of teacher sort of um, relationship with if you get me. Mm. You know, I think that's that... just kind of I know some people are some people are different. Some people kind of you know they enjoy that. I'm not going to say fear factor, but they like that. So it's separation between you know that professional relationship, whereas, um, I think from looking down through the through period of time, I think that's what works best for me. And I think if you look in business, I think that's definitely what the, what works the best as well. If you have a, uh, someone above you who takes a genuine interest in kind of how you are, like your progression, like your your family, your off the field stuff, I think it is. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely is more beneficial. No, hundred percent, and um, yeah, I some, learned something very similar, like with coaching, with business, and that's like you mentioned love there, and it's like it's a word that obviously as men, it's like oh, you know, for like don't say easily, but like you you see with players, it's like oh, I love playing with the boys, I love the boys, it's like you, you do, or you know, and the same with coaches and players, that all that relationship as well, it's like you love the players that are there, and you care for them. You know what I mean? Like they're not they're not pieces of meat, they're not like cogs, you know, like whatever. You do care for them. And I think that shows as well, like, you know, as a in whatever relationship it is, like be it players, players, and um, like if one of your players really care about you or whatever, you as the person, you'll go that bit harder. Same with a coach. And yeah, I remember just when I started out coaching, I used to think it was all tactics and strategies and plays and this, that, the other. And I certainly got like hung up on that. Well, like I'd be just so focused on that. Whereas then you just start getting, the, you know, spending more time with the players, just realizing you don't have to be as as hung up on the tactics and strategies. Because I think as well, there's like thirty or forty brains in a squad, and you can build those relationships. And when you have those relationships on the field, players play better. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. I fully agree. Yeah. Um. How has we we're chatting about a bit earlier just with preseason how that's changed a lot, but how have you felt that kind of sports science has changed since say once again since you were say eighteen nineteen because players it seems like it seems like rugby has gotten more physical and is is a quicker game and is just a different game from ten years ago, but players are playing longer now um yes, yeah, certainly anyways, I know. Certainly in Ireland, anyways, the management of players is, you know, probably best in the world in terms of kind of how they, how they look after them. Obviously, everyone wants to, you know, play week in week out. But in terms of the level of contact and like body on body sort of stuff we do during the week, like there's a couple of occasions where you wouldn't have any during the week. Now what we do practice is body in front, so it's kind of like an eighty percent. So you're kind of teaching good habits, um, like. Even kind of speaking from a personal aspect of it, like I suppose when I started off initially, you know, have no concept of the benefit of sleep, diet, you know, recovery, um, 
pace on the weekends. Yeah. Um, whereas I suppose as you that it's kind of came full circle. Um, like obviously the amount of people wearing wearing wearables and trackables and stuff now is has like gone through the roof. So people, players are investing in that side of it. Um, I suppose like in where it was like when I would have started off, yeah, like our days would have been so long and it would have been two pitch sessions a day, gym session a day, and, you know, maybe two hour long meetings. And you know yourself, like most of the time a player has kind of, or anyone has, it's like a 20 minute kind of span to kind of absorb information Mm -hmm. kind of after that, a lot of it's lost. Um, And like, you'd see that, with them longer pitch sessions, especially with like outside backs, like if, or even backs in general, if they're doing high speed meters, like twice a day, like you're only asking for trouble in terms of like soft tissue injuries. And that's kind of like, remember in Connacht for years and nearly all over the place, I suppose, there was always kind of so many soft tissue injuries. And looking back now, like last year, we had, I think the smallest injury count in Ireland. And I think a lot of that was down to the fact that they're so aware of, what you know of each player firstly in terms of what their capacity is and then obviously during the week and um, like managing training times managing time on feet but then also education around to players in terms of kind of how to yeah i probably think that's one of the if even just thinking about it, educating the actual player has been a big thing especially since gav rackard he's our nutritionist and then dave howard who's our strength and conditioner he would have been with um oklahoma and he, I think he does, has a few like consultancy jobs in the US with NFL teams and basketball teams. So I think since Dave came in, the, the big thing has been around like educating the player. I think once they've done that, then players, you know, can make a decision themselves if they kind of want to be the type of athlete they want to be then. So mm. I think, yeah, it, it, it has changed like remarkably in the last, um, last couple of years. Like I suppose when, when Pat was there, when Marcus, who our nutritionist was then, like rugby back then was really at that time it was about size and weight whereas kind of you know it's nearly kind of this ever evolving circle that it kind of it comes back around again so yeah. we're nearly kind of back into that place where it's about being you know um dynamic and you know being quick off your feet being fast uh, and i'm sure that will come around again in a couple of years where it will go back to you know bigger bodies and bigger mass but it seems to be that at the moment that's kind of where we're at yeah it does seem to go in cycles, all right, yeah. And you mentioned there, like, sleep, diet. I love all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> so would you do kind of, like, not workshops or whatever, but would the S&C coach maybe, like, talk to you as a group about sleep? And are there any things in particular, like, I suppose you try to get your eight hours, but I think that I see that you have one of those heavy blankets. Did you have one of those for a while? So are there different things you try yeah. on sleep or try to nail yeah, everyone kind of, I suppose I get a, I get a slagged in Connacht for like gimmicks because they kind of <laughs> always get these different things. But I love yeah, look, I just find that, so like I, I have a thing at the moment which regulates the, <clears throat> excuse me, temperature of my bed. So I try to get in and like that. Like I try, well, I try to put it at 13 degrees for when I get into it, but obviously my body temperature brings it up. So I have that. Um, obviously... Yeah, a lot of that kind of comes down to the education. So they, we obviously have like different WhatsApp groups, but I suppose starting in Friendly's first year, you know, it was compulsory for everyone the day after a game for the first like I think three months, everyone was in after a game and you do like kind of like recovery protocol where it was like hot, cold contrast and then it was like triggers. 
and then like maybe a flush on the bike. And then once they kind of gave players the education around it, you know, then it was kind of the thing where right, you're left to your own devices to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously everyone has their own tailored nutrition plan um, through Gav Rackard in terms of what you need to be putting into your body, what you don't need to be putting into your body pre-fueling before games, like caffeine fueling before games. Um, and then obviously the stuff in around like if your day-to-day um, kind of well-being survey and monitoring that you do. So there's so many different things there on a daily basis. But um, yeah, I think the main thing comes down to sleep. I had that, as you said, that weighted blanket. Um, it's probably a bit too hot to use it now. It's something that I'll bring out again during the winter. Um, I felt like it was, it was something that I used a lot when um, the year I got capped. And it was just a thing that like, I was up in camp the whole time, then I'd be coming back to Galway. And it was kind of the one constant that I had in my so sleep environment that was just, you know, I don't know, I just felt that it kind of, it's probably a gimmick, but I felt it was even if it was placebo, it worked for me. Yeah. And there's a guy, um, I think his name is David Brailsford, the Sky Team or Team Sky Cycling. Um, yeah, Team Sky Cycling. And he came in and was all about like 1%. And now, yeah, after the fact, they were caught doing drugs. Is it Atomic, so, is it atomic Habits? Or yeah. Or is it, is it James Clear? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he meant just how they moved their beds. Yeah. So they brought their beds with them all around Europe and around the world. And they used to clean out the back of the truck with like a blue light or something to make sure there was no specs or anything to make sure that the bed was perfect because sleep is so important for the athletes. Yeah. Now that <clears throat> that happened and then they were caught with those packages and <laughs> doing PEDs. So I'm not sure where the 1% came from. But anyway, it's uh, for sure sleep is important. Um. What other you mentioned there then well-being surveys. So what kind of what kind of stuff around well-being would you be doing or would the coaches be talking about or uh yes yeah, so you'd have obviously how to just like it'd be a scale of uh zero to ten or one to ten. Yes, one to ten, sorry. So it'd be like uh level of fatigue that like at that moment. How did you sleep last night? Uh were you off your food? Uh muscle stiffness, muscle soreness. Uh, and then it kind of goes into lower back pain, yes or no, other stress related, like so, it was other stress related activities mm-hmm. or things. And then, um, yeah, that's it. And then you obviously have body weight, and you have your usual kind of um, knee to wall. We have a groin squeeze, and then we also have a kind of hamstring test or another one where you kind of push up against the wall. And then on Mondays and Fridays, we do jumps, uh, which measures, measures fatigue. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how, but yeah, we have like a special machine that you do these kind of Nord board or Nord mats. I think they're not Nord mats for hamstrings. These special, these yeah. kind of special plates that you um, kind of do is uh, jump on. And in some way that measures um, kind of fatigue. I, don't know, I think it's in the speed that you descend and then the amount of time you can kind of get off, off the ground. In. So that's what we do. And then obviously with COVID, then we have our, our COVID um, monitoring that we kind of have to do every morning as well. I remember once again, like years ago, you'd just be lifting, wouldn't you be lifting so much weights that you're just fucking shagged? Yeah, like we we did three, so we had three weeks there. Like we had these things called submaximal, um, submax efforts, um, like sorry, deadlift. So effectively what we were doing was I think it's just really good for obviously joints and tendons, but it's obviously for load and muscles. So no, I don't, as you can see, Brian, I don't have the biggest legs. Uh, <laughs> rugby, but 
Um, so what they do is, I think I was doing like 220. So say like my max wouldn't be anything near that. But what you do is you'd like wrap your hands with the, like you'd, wrap, you'd strap your hands into the trap bar both sides. Yeah. And then one of the, like someone else, one side and the other person, the other side, and you, both of you would lift the trap bar up and then you do like a seven minute or seven to seven, minutes, seven second descend kind of down oh, cool. towards the box. And then you'd put it down, wait 10 seconds and you do it again. So we were doing them for the last uh, three weeks. We were doing them twice a week. And uh, what else we've been doing in gym? We've kind of been doing, um, you know, twos. So yeah, we've been doing twos and bench. Uh, I think they were like at 85%. So you do two reps, uh, about five sets, and then you do an AMRAP uh, yeah. at the very end. And then what else we've been doing? Doing that, then kind of the last session on a Friday, we pretty... Um, like you'd obviously have your normal stuff. You'd have your hamstring health, your hip health, the normal stuff that you'd usually have in a gym session. And then yeah. at the end on a Friday, then you just have maybe like a, a Nordic curls, um, you know, squat jumps, hurdles, and then you'd have like a ten minute, fifteen minute EDT, and um, which kind of with a tricep in it. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's, but this week we've been on a on a loading on a deload. So kind of to, to answer your question, yes, they're very conscious of kind of what what you do so we had three weeks of building up there and then we obviously into a, a deload week this week which was uh which is i was loving that nice yeah those um yeah those decentrics are absolutely savage as i said uh yeah you can see that i'm not built in a gym so yeah you I, gotta uh, do a bit extra kicking practice during that time i <laughs> have to throw a ball around and pass with some other people yeah do, do you think there's Less emphasis on putting on weight. Like, remember, weight used to be such a huge thing. Like, oh, I'm weighing in at 84 kilos. I need to weigh in at 84.5. And, like, as a 9, 10, like, fuck, does it matter? And you look at Ches and Colby and these guys, and, like, as there's a lot of positions where I think it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, there's, certainly there's, uh, certainly there's positions that it doesn't matter. I think it comes down to, comes down to probably the game that, type of game that you're trying to play if yeah. you're able to move around the pitch and if that also comes down to feel as well i remember like when mm. i was remember i was at 92 before and i just felt like so sluggish <laughs> but like that was because that was kind of passed down from the snc because that's yeah. kind of the way that you know we wanted to be as a team and then after that you know i just dropped like four or five kilos um and yeah i just felt that i was like way more able to get around on the pitch and kind of be more tread on the ball yeah cool so uh tell gets me skin, gets the skin falls down as well which is also yeah, a good yeah, thing. especially now we're in summer you know you could get the top off for a while and yeah you don't have to be carrying those extra bit of timber <laughs> yeah yeah what's the what yeah, it's the the wet vest in the pool like no one be looking at you <laughs> yeah you don't be the fellow wearing the t-shirt <laughs> oh stuff yeah um Tell me a bit about tactile your feelings. I see yourself um, and a few other players are involved with that. So what is it first up and then why did you get involved? Uh, yeah, so well, there's kind of two aspects to it. Um, firstly, it's about obviously getting people to be proactive in managing their mental health. Um, so they obviously initially started, Jesus started a long, long time ago. Jack McGraw was kind of the first player who who came on board about it and it was just as I said being getting people to be more proactive and kind of trying mm. to get rid of the stigma that there, that there would have been I think it's 
I think for it's sure. probably a thing that now is it's it's near, definitely um definitely reduced. I think people are a lot more open to to speaking about kind of how they're feeling and where they are. Obviously, there's still a long way to go. I think, especially in Ireland, the way the COVID has probably amplified everything now. And the reason behind why I did it was, I suppose, when when I was kind of up and down and inconsistencies in my career, I suppose, I didn't understand, you know, I'd let it a game and how the match went. And then that was the first part. And then I'd let, I suppose, what people said online, I would let that kind of dictate how I would have felt about myself for like three to four days. So it's all well and good if you played a game and you'd won the weekend and played well. But if you played poorly and saw something online, you'd be feeling like absolute shite until Wednesday or Thursday the following week and then you have a game two days later and you're still just about got over it because the reviews and everything are done so it was very much about a thing where when I got to a place where you know I I stopped kind of listening to external I suppose things and I was only listening to I suppose the people who actually meant something very important to me so like family friends teammates and then coaches because I was getting you know I could have played I could have done something that we would have had as a game plan in terms of kicking, like keeping the ball long and in. And then you could get a comment on social media, Jesus, he can't kick the ball off the pitch. Whereas, you know what I mean? So I was kind of yeah. like letting, you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand kind of the intricacies of what you're actually trying to do. And that's putting some of them, some of them mildly now, to be honest. I, I probably would have told the story with that from previous, I don't know if you know it, where there was this certain like he actually was a season ticket holder in Connacht at the time and he would like been writing stuff on Facebook and kind of like putting up a wish list for Christmas and it was like can we get a new 10 and all this sort of stuff <laughs> uh, which like looking back it was, it was kind of like some of them was, were funny enough but then like some of them like yeah look they weren't nice to read like I'm not going to say that they yeah. had any malice in it but when you saw that there was you know maybe 10 or 11 things over a period of time we're like Jesus this lad ever like what is he doing yeah uh, and i remember like he really used to like boil on me and i remember the lead up to like i remember the lead up to one of the pre-seasons i like had like all his screenshots in a folder on my phone like i'd be using them to train so obviously it did it was good in some aspects but it was very unhealthy in others because mm-hmm. i was training not for me to improve i was training because i wanted to like show this fellow yeah and which is you know some people would probably say that's oh it's a good thing but anyways i was at a funeral a couple of months later and i was like paying my condolences in the queue to pay my condolences to the the person who passed away's um father and i'm walking out and donna see this this fella like staring at me (laughs) and like what's he nod nod his head nod his head at me i was kind of like you know I was like, I'm gonna fuck, I'm gonna oh, kill this fellow when I see him outside. I was like, yeah. I can't always see, can't I see kill him in the sacristy? But I was like, right. Um, so I like, waited outside, and he, I was like, you know what, you know what, it's actually there's no point in doing it. I'm not gonna. And then, yeah, got into my car and he drove off, and I was like, you know what, actually, you know, fuck that. Like, I actually want to call this fellow out because like I lost sleep and fucking being all over yeah. the place with it. And I pulled down the window, and I was like you're not writing shit stuff about me now, are you? And he was like, that's because you're playing well. And then he was like, see you later on, Jack. And I was kind of like, that was the point. I was like, you know what? I ex- expended so much mental energy on yeah. something that someone just had literally wrote on online and actually 
they didn't really give a shit about. So the reason why I got behind it, long story short, was because if I could stop that happening to another player and like they'd under I suppose have the tools and the education behind it not to let that I suppose bite away at them and kinda eat at their soul for a period of time. I think that was basically the the reason behind it, to be honest. No, that's unreal. Fair play. Like being an ambassador for something like that is huge because it those kind of things affect every single player. Like simple as, you know, if you're no matter if you're playing thirds in a club, you're afraid of selection and you're thinking what do these people think, whatever, whatever. So like it's it's not it's of course so much magnified at the top of the game. Like I was chatting to a buddy of mine um a couple of days ago who plays in the MLR and I was asking him about and what's the what's the difficulty of playing pro rugby and he said, to be honest, over here at this point we don't the fans, we don't have anyone heckling us or anything like that. So we don't have those same pressures that people in the bigger leagues do. Mm. But it's not to say that every person in the world, never mind rugby player, has to understand their feelings and manage their those kind of things. So yeah, fair play for being an ambassador for that and doing that work. You're very welcome, thank you. I was thing came into my head there about you, uh, myself, Ben, and Luke were talking about it. It always comes into my head when we were in your house when we were kids. So for anyone listening to this, we used to uh, there used to be a shop down the bottom of Moyles Road. Moyles Road. <laughs> we used to go down to the shop and like fill up bags of sweets, and we come back into Brian's room, and by the time Brian got back, he said that his sweets were all gone. So he'd like ask us for like loads of sweets. So we'd be like, oh yeah, here, have some of ours. And then like we'd finish ours and he'd like bring his hand from behind his back and like a bunch of sweets would just be like placed in front of him and the fucker wouldn't give you one. Like he wouldn't give you <laughs> give anyone any. God, I such a fat cunt as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. Stop, yeah, I remember that. And um, are there different things that you do like now to protect your energy to like say like you let those things get into your mind but are there any like daily practices or anything that you do to just make sure that you're your best self or that just just put you in the right step uh yeah i suppose this year um probably is towards the end of last season even kind of in covid i suppose i just like kind of made a point of trying to wake up earlier and i got myself a this is probably another gimmick but I got myself a, a Muse headband, which is kind of a meditation headband. And I use that for like 10, 15 minutes in the morning. So I'll get up, I'll stick that on straight away, just like sit still for 15 minutes. And then I'll have like my breakfast and everything. It's nearly like a kind of mini morning routine. So I find that like to be some mornings when I wake up when I'm in, you know, it's one of them ones where you're kind of, that voice in your head is talking to you, kind of saying, oh, training, oh, you, should, you know, it's wet outside, it's yeah. And then you kind of, you do that and it kind of just wipes the slate clean. So I find that that's really good for me in terms of just, I suppose, just clearing my head kind of firstly. And I find that like by the time I get into training, like my mood is significantly better. Um, and I even think that like my, I suppose, what would be the word to be? I'd be let, like, I suppose there like last week, I would have lashed out at one of my teammates. And I think that that, was probably down to uh, I think you know I find that when I do more of that stuff in terms of meditation and in in terms of like just having time to be quiet I find that it yeah. prevents me from you know lashing out but it also 
you're kind of more conscious, like you're more in the moment nearly. So you're kind of conscious of what you say to others, kind of how you act around others. You're not like reactive. You're kind of very proactive in kind of what you say, kind of what you do. And then you're also, you know, not thinking about something that happened yesterday or not worrying about something that's happening tomorrow. You're very kind of grounded in in the present. And I think that's what that ultimately gives me. That's unreal. Like I was, uh, I was going to thought when you were talking about meditation there, I meditate every morning as well. I was nearly going to say like, what have you found the benefits? And you started talking about it, about lashing out and not lashing out. And I notice as well, 100%, if I ever, I never skip it anymore. I literally never don't meditate for 10 or 20 minutes in the morning because I used to. And then I notice, you notice that you're different. You de- yeah. you are shorter when dealing with people. You can't cope as well with slight difficult things that come your way. You know, you might be like, oh, fuck this, or oh, Jesus, or, or someone is a slight different way. And yeah, it's uh, it's just so much more pleasant, isn't it? Your yeah. day, the rest of your day. Yeah, it's, I, I certainly just feel you have a lot more empathy towards, a lot more empathy towards others. Um, yeah, definitely. I just think it's, it's something I wish I'd I had done along a lot earlier. Just even from the regulation, it's um, yeah, it's it's I find it like phenomenal, really. To be honest, like even something, it's it's kind of along the lines of that. Like say I was today, you can imagine in Galway, it was like pissing rain sideways and like howling rain, like and literally just as I walked out of the pitch. And uh, I know you're a big fan of Jocko Willing, so I literally was like walking yeah. out of the pitch and I was like, oh good. Like I'm actually, this is good. Like, this is what like this is good. This will make me better. And I ended up going out and like kicking really well. And I think it's just that, coupled with the fact that I had the present of mind to not let that kind of voice kind of get into the back of my head and kind of be talking, oh, not today. You could like take the easy way out and you know try to get this session done really quick. But it was the yeah. first thing that kind of came into my head. So I think it definitely like I've been trying to use that tool anyways in terms of when. You know, times are tough. Just trying to have like a thing is like oh, good. You know, you're getting better as a person, as a player. So I definitely think that yeah. the meditation in the morning definitely enables that. I suppose that that's the voice that talks rather than the one where you know the little devil on your shoulder, where you can kind of look for excuses and easy ways to get out. Hundred percent, that's fast. Yeah, you're more. You're just so much more present. And I love. Uh, I love Jocko as well. And uh, I love all that mindset stuff. Like. Uh, it's i just the last couple of years like this so it's what you feed your mind with as well like like with meditation when i was younger i'm like god oh, these fucking hippies please. you know I'm like now i'm like now that that's me like trying to tell everyone to meditate but uh i love that mindset stuff yeah jocko and do you do you, um any other people that you listen to kind of like him or um i listen to i to be honest i I did listen to a couple of Joe Rogan. I've probably gone off him a small bit in some of the stuff. Same. Um, yeah, I've exactly gone off him. Um, there's a good for you, man. Dave Mac Williams podcast. I know you've tweeted about him a couple of times. I find him really good. Um, good. I actually just, I've been more kind of just going on and trying to hammer through as many kind of audible books. Listen to a really good one recently called Belonging. And it kind of talks about like the importance. I don't know if you've, if you've heard about it. Say again. The Maori culture. Yeah, it's about the Faka Papa. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'll probably get the name of it wrong. Ubuntu, which is like, I think, the South African word. I might have the pronunciation of it wrong. Yeah. But um, 
yeah, it's probably one of the best books I've ever read, to be honest. It was incredible just talking about your like genealogy. So Faka Papa, I think I have the pronunciation of it right. It's like genealogy, what translates to genealogy in Maori. Um, And I was actually Jared Butler, a captain who kind of told me about it. And when he had said it, one of the coaches had actually already read it as well. And it's just about, I suppose, the awareness of people who went before you, but then an awareness also then of the people who were coming after you. And mm. yeah, I found actually like the, the, the trans stuff you can translate from that into a team thing is like so untapped that it like could be absolutely massive. So I definitely would recommend, uh, recommend reading that. And what else? Yeah. I'm reading no rule, the no rule rules. It's kind of about Netflix and kind of the way that they do business. Um, which is, yeah, that's pretty good as well. It's a pretty extreme way of kind of how they do stuff, but it obviously has worked for them. What, you know, I actually, the belonging one, it's a guy, he's a, a lawyer who lives in London, isn't he? A Maori lawyer who lives in London. But he's, yeah, he's Irish. He's Irish roots. He, um, so when, when Harlequins won the premiership, mm. uh, Billy Millard, who was in Connacht at the time when I was here, the first thing he started speaking about, he was like, you know, we had to go back to our roots and we learned about Mr. Stoop, who, like, obviously the Quinn's um, stadium is named after. And it was yeah. kind of a thing, you know, they, because they had only Eastwood in to speak to them. And mm. when Gustard was there, he got brought him in. And they obviously went back and learned about who Mr. Stoop was and kind of went through their whole kind of history. I think it's something that definitely, um, we probably hear a lot more about in Connacht. It's something that we're probably definitely going to tap into because there's so much. It's like a rich history of stuff that has kind of happened here. Um, I think there was there was a. I'm get I'm, I'll get this wrong, but back in hundreds, maybe thousands, hundreds of years ago, there was a an ancient king in Connacht, and he after he died, like he won a load of battles against um, the Ulstermen. I'm getting I'm speaking yeah. about this vaguely, so if I'm off in a couple of yeah. things, and towards the end, he was when he died. Uh, they buried him but they place his head north facing towards Ulster as kind of like a final F you to like the people from up there. Yeah. And it caused such a thing that an army from the north came down and like dug up his body and like went and like faced it towards the sea. Um so like <laughs> loads of stuff like that that I think Yeah. You know, you can definitely tap into as like an extra source of uh, understanding of where you kinda of come from. Um I think it's probably something they can probably hear a lot about in what we're trying, we're trying to do now this year in Connacht. That's cool. Yeah, we're I'm playing a, like a regional team here in Vancouver that's just started up, and um, we were working with a guy last night had a call, um, Tom Dobson Squib or something. Anyway, he he works with the Stormers and was with the Rebels, and he talks a lot about theming. Have you heard of that? Like yeah. theming, like uh, so the Crusaders do it as well. You must heard like Scott Robertson, but uh, he was yeah just talking about theming and how you can buy like bring everything into it. So like your play calls, your the way you just I don't know operate outside of the field and just everything can go into this one theme and just it brings everyone together and it what you're saying sounds sounds like that. Like one example he gave was that the Rebels did it a couple of years ago where their theme for the year was Pimp My Ride because, you know, the show back in the day, because they were, nobody was from Melbourne and they were all coming there to get better, to be, to have an opportunity 
to get better. They were all cast-offs. So they used the theme, Pimp My Ride. They were all like, not kind of shitty old cars or whatever. They were all like things. And they came there to get into that environment, to get done up and get better. And he said it worked well, you know. I think it was Will Kenny was there at the time. As long as, as, long as Westwood wasn't doing it and it was exhibited, I don't really mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. That got real bad real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, it won't keep it too much longer. But uh, just one thing I thought of there earlier was in the gym. But uh, what would be, who would be two people you would have for dinner guests or two people you'd like to sit down with alive? Oh, alive. I was going to say Anthony Bourdain. He's definitely probably one. Um, alive. First up, Anthony Bourdain, why him? First up. Uh, I just find him like one of the most interesting people. Like I've only actually got into him. Um, uh, you know, you know, Anthony Bourdain is a chef. Yeah, yeah, uh, the chef in New York. Um, yes, I've only actually got into him after he passed. Ben, my brother, kind of got me onto him and kind of sent me on mm. his Kitchen Confidential book, and um, he obviously has a class series on uh, Netflix, um, which is like yeah, phenomenal. I just think that he'd just be such an interesting character yeah. to have. Like he's been everywhere all over the world like the way he immerses himself in different cultures like i saw the one where he went to i'm trying to think of where he went to was it it wasn't burma i can't remember where he went and he ended up going on like so they basically have this thing maybe it was in i think it could have been borneo or something something like that anyways and he yeah. uh they have this like week-long like tradition where basically you just drink and you like you wake up you drink okay. and they're in these like prefabs and like to be people, I've been like, in a few places that sound like that <laughs> and they well, basically wake up like wake up and they tend to drink it, it just like not even just because of that now it's just yeah some of the stories that he would have and kind of the place he's been um, and he was, he was a, a coke addict wasn't he and that's yeah he, he was a, a serious drug addict yeah i think he was even probably on harder stuff than that um, yeah. and then he obviously unfortunately died that's why yeah. suicide um People always ask me this question. I actually never know who I'd say. Um, I think, I actually, believe it or not, people who kind of thought it was mad. I only watched The Last Dance in the last month. It kind of kept it to like a time where I wanted to do it. I was going to watch it last preseason and I never got around to it. So I like held off in watching it to like the next preseason. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably say, I wouldn't mind, I think Michael Jordan would be pretty cool to have it. it just even kind of like, Kind of see us, yeah. see his sort of mindset, and chat to him about a few different things. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Michael Jordan for sure. But just on that, I'd love to eat a few mushrooms with Phil Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Down a his, yeah, yeah. I read his book after it. It's uh, he's so interesting. He's unreal. Down to Wreck oh, Beach, you might find him down there. Yeah, yeah, I might. I'll ask him. I can't even, I don't, I don't even know it. Uh, who would you, who yeah. would you have? I don't know. I, as I said, I was just, I was in gyms for just for this. I was just thinking about it. I was like, because I obviously, whatever we took chat about, I was like, oh, that's something that people ask and it's interesting. And I'm not sure. I think, I think maybe Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Um, or somebody along those lines. Like, I love reading philosophy and psychology. And maybe him, like he, once again, just, I think it'd be so interesting. And then a sports person, like probably LeBron, like, yeah, Michael Jordan for, for sure. Um, I was just thinking LeBron um, when I was thinking about this question. Um, 
Yeah, maybe like, yeah. I'd love to have someone like uh, like a Julian Assange or um, oh, like yeah. a, Bill, a Bill Browder. I don't know if you've ever read Red Notes. Who's Bill Browder? I don't know him. Uh, basically, he was like Putin's number one enemy for a long period of time. He like, and I went into oh, wow. Yugoslavia when it was like being broken up and managed to like find a lot of these uh, companies that were like severely undervalued and just like bought loads of them up. Became like ended up running a hedge fund over in in Russia. Then eventually, uh, like a red notice was uh, issued to him by Interpol, and yeah. ended up being locked up. Then his lawyer ended up getting locked up, and then I won't end up ruining the. Yeah. There's actually a movie in production about it, so potentially someone like him. Yeah, it's Julian Assange. Um, who else? Yeah, he's he's under a bit of pressure. He's his court case is actually on the moment, so. Um, crazy yeah. Edward Snowden it's, actually Edward Snowden I like I like kind of that kind of topic um I just kind of like like that I think like I won't even get into the US I would, yeah, I'll go down I'll go down there I'll go down a yeah. rabbit hole but, I love that too yeah it's um, crazy yeah it's fine kind of you know you talk about the Chinas and the North Koreas and all these other countries but the US are as bad as any of them so oh yeah you see the yeah the Clinton body count like people just get put in people just get put away like yeah but anyway yeah hey well thanks Emil uh, cheers for your time really appreciate it I won't keep you too much longer in your day off not at all no, it was it was uh, enjoyable hopefully we'll do a we'll do another one in a couple of months and we can uh, chew it a bit again hopefully we we have a few wins underneath the belt and you can tell yeah, me any sure. changes you've seen in Connacht and so because I haven't really told you what they are yet so. Oh, for sure. Yeah, let's definitely. I'd love to do that. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, I'll be like Joey Diaz, your regular guest. Hey, hey, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> we um, because I probably look at going over to Luke. Yeah. He has the house in Manhattan Beach, like with his contract. I think he's in Manhattan Beach. He has the accommodation there for for a month. So, um, I'm oh, sorry for the rest of the year. So, I uh, we could link up then. I think maybe. Sick, yeah. Uh, I was chatting to Paul Mullen there last week about um, he was rooming with Luke before, but um, yeah, I was just saying how I want to yeah. get down to MLR game. So yeah, fuck, I might try to go down to LA then. He pulled a, he pulled to finish on he pulled a good prank on um, on Luke there. So they were playing in London against um, against yeah. England, and they were like doing their laundry on the Monday. And Paul Mullen comes up to Luke in the room and he's like, Luke, there's a fellow from Athlone there called John. I don't know if you know. Luke was like getting really excited. He's like, Jesus, like, no. And Paul was like, yeah, he's around like similar age to you. So uh Luke on the Friday, like before the match, brings down his laundry and like he sees Paul Mullen talking to like this fellow, the laundry man who was like on a on a caddy cart. And Luke goes over to him and he was like, Oh, you're John, like you're John, what's going on? I'm from Athlone as well. And your man's like, What are you talking about? I'm not from Athlone, I'm, I'm from England. <laughs> <laughs> Luke said he just like saw Paul Mullen like walking off in the background just like, shaking his head laughing a lot of hours go into making this podcast each week if you enjoy listening to the pod and would like to support me in making it and making sure that it keeps coming out I have a Patreon page and there's a supporters tier you can sign up it's monthly and I don't know what currency you're in but it'll be a very, very small amount. But that support would mean so, so much to me. Also, if you're an ambitious player or someone who's interested in self-development, if you're a coach and you want to help your players on the mental side of the game, I have a tier called the First 15. 
And on this tier, you'll get extra podcasts from me based around mental skills, sports psychology that'll help you become more confident, more accountable, develop stronger self-belief and give you tools to deal with adversity. I sometimes put out bite-sized, like shorter versions of these Patreon-only podcasts so you can listen into them to get an idea. And there's a third tier, uh, one-on-one mentorship tier for if you want to do exactly that, work one-on-one with me so that I can help you become the player that you know you can be and achieve your goals. Lastly, if you're a coach or involved with a team and you think it's important for players to be confident, have self-belief, be mentally strong, send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter at Rugby, and we'll chat about what I can do to help your team become exactly that. Hope you enjoyed the chat and maybe learned something from the insights Jack was giving around what's happening in the Connick setup these days. I really enjoyed catching up with them and hearing about what Connick are up to in pre-season, what their training is like and all that. As a player and coach myself, I really like keeping up to date with what the pro teams are doing. Because the game is always changing, as is sports science, strength and conditioning and everything involved with the game. Like Jack's explaining how drastically different their pre-seasons are now versus only 8-9 years ago when he was starting out. And as you can probably tell, I'm really into meditation, mindfulness and everything in that area. Jack spoke about how meditation helps him in his day-to-day. I could speak at length about how much has helped me as well. And I would really recommend anyone to try it out. If you are going to try meditation, just know that it is quite difficult at first. Your mind races and it's often really hard to sit still, but it does get a lot easier. And you quickly start to see how much more enjoyable your days are when you meditate versus when you don't. Please share this podcast with some of your friends if you enjoyed it. I would be so grateful if you took a few seconds to do that. And a huge thank you to everyone who has shared the first two episodes. Next week on the pod, I chat with an Irishman playing in the MLR. He highlights the importance of team culture and how this can enable teams to punch far above their weight and beat teams that on paper look far better. He's been at a couple of different MLR sides, so gives an insight into the different levels of professionalism in the league and the cultures in the different teams. Please follow or subscribe to the pod if you haven't already, and also please leave a rating and a review for the pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. Thanks, Mill, for clicking in and listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Cheers.